there are times when like I, I'm I'm going to get on Twitter or one of these platforms and like I just have to give myself like a little bit of like okay we're going in. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, like you're putting um, you're putting on like camouflage, you know, getting getting ready to to go in. But yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's hard. It's hard, and I think I don't know what it says about me that um, I'm able to take it, but. I, you know, and the only reason I think I can is because I don't know a career outside of being trolled. Of course, we didn't call it trolling then. But when I was 15 and became an activist because I kissed Ryan White on TV to prove that you couldn't get HIV from casual contact. I mean, you want to talk about trolling. I got wow. hate, I got hate that mail. That must have been intense. I got hate mail. People um, were... Uh, very threatening in, in, in person. I didn't get asked to the prom because, you know, there were rumors that I had HIV AIDS. Um, so that at 15, you know, I, I, I knew it was worth it. But if you have like that sort of prepared me, I think, for this this time um, where everyone has access and can say whatever they want to say about you and and who you are. On today's episode of Yang Speaks, actress and activist Alyssa Milano joins the conversation with Andrew. They talk about what it was like growing up as a child actress. Uh, They also talk about her work in politics, her opinions, and whether or not she's going to run for Congress. It's a fascinating conversation. Check it out right now. Alyssa Milano on Yang Speaks. It is my pleasure to welcome to Yang Speaks one of the most prominent activists in the country. Uh, you probably know her from her her in, incredible TV career. My friend Alyssa Milano. Welcome, Alyssa. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me and that very lovely introduction. I appreciate it. I appreciate the heck out of you, Alyssa. I'm going to tell a couple of Alyssa Milano stories just so people have a sense of the kind of person you are. Okay. Um, so you and I got to know each other uh, when I was running for president, and you joined us for this first debate. Uh, the first debate, which was in Miami, it was MSNBC. Uh, it was not a great night for me. I didn't get much ta- talking time. I came off the stage you know, uh, like a bit disheartened thinking like, oh, like, uh, you know, I should have uh, done more. Um, And you were there and you were just so warm and supportive uh, and awesome and like had like zero uh, negativity about you. And you were one of the figures that actually like uplifted me in the moment. Mm. I'm not sure I ever told you that, Alyssa, but uh, like I I really uh, appreciated it. And then months later, uh, when COVID had hit and I was asking people to do a message against anti-Asian racism. Uh, you were one of the people that just jumped on it and said like, uh, yes, like, uh, you know, I, I'd love to help. Um, so these are just two of the examples of the kind of person that, that you are. Thank you for saying that. And that first debate was, that was something, wasn't it? I just felt, I, I felt like you had so many important things to say and they were purposely not allowing you to say them. 
Yeah, I had the same sense, but you don't have any uh, frame of reference at that point because it was just right. one debate. Um, but then after like two, three, four, five, six, seven debates, you're like, oh, it really was just that those moderators weren't very cool. <laughs> exactly. 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 I still can't believe that was uh, that was you up there. I'm super proud of everything you've done since then. Oh, thank you. Well, you, you've been um, an awesome friend and uh, ally the whole time. You and I teamed up on Georgia, which was awesome. I mean, that was like the greatest thing. <laughs> that, 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 that it was done. nice to win one for a change, wasn't it? It really was. Yeah. You know, like I, I have to say that my opinion about our chances for success uh, went up and down, back and forth several times during the weeks uh, before the vote. There were times I was like, I think we're going to win this. And other times I was like, I'm not sure we are going to win this. I kept texting you and you would say like one day you'd be like, yeah, feels really good on the ground. And the next day you'd say, yeah, I don't think we have a good shot. Here. <laughs> yeah, you were living like, well, the roller coaster. Is Alyssa. Andrew, which is it? I know. And I should have been the authority since I was on the ground. Uh, and, you know, like uh, uh, I was highly subject to all of these um, maddening TV ads. <laughs> you can imagine what the Georgia television stations looked like. Oh, I know. I lived there for two years when we shot Insatiable. And it is it is a, a really interesting place. And I think the thing that that makes it most fascinating is you have this influx of people from the entertainment industry who have come in because years and years ago when Stacey Abrams was in the state Senate, she was smart enough to offer a really uh, attractive um, tax incentive for productions to come in and shoot there. And so what that really did was it gradually made uh, Georgia more purple with the more uh, influx it's of, true. of diversity that came in to work there through the entertainment industry. So it's really an interesting story on, uh, to me, like political migration. Like we need to go into all the red states and put some some studios in there and get some productions <laughs> going so that we could, you know, change all those red states to purple. And then Alyssa, you hit on it. All we have to do is bring a little bit of TV production and movie production. <laughs> I think so. Any, anywhere I we mean, want to turn. Look purple. at Texas. Look at Texas with, you know, with how it turned from from Austin becoming such an incredible music scene. I mean, I think that there might be something to that. I mean, I, you know, I'm not a sociology uh, professor by any means, but I would be looking into that if if I were. If there is, uh, you know, because entertainment industry, we're all union people. You know what else tends to uh, result in blue pockets, Alyssa, is schools. So if you were to start mm. colleges and college towns, <laughs> because those are always like the little blue oasis in, in any state. Is that the youth, you think? Yeah. And, you know, just if you're in that type of environment, nine times out of ten, you tend to be like a, a bit more uh, progressive or, or liberal. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses that's tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now 
seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it, Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com yang. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. I've talked to you any number of times, but I've never actually asked you a question that has like been on my mind a, a little bit. You've been famous since you were very young. Like you became a, a child star, um, and, and it feels like you are the sanest former child star. <laughs> 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 That's a lot of therapy, Andrew, a lot of therapy. It's hard, man. I mean, and it's hard in the best of circumstances. I think I had one of the best experiences because I was, you know, on a show for eight years. So I had stability. Um, my parents had their own lives. So it was never, uh, you know, a question of them pushing me into this. Um, and... I recognized that it was important to be self-reflective at a really young age, but I'll be honest, I, I mean, I've struggled with anxiety and depression, and I think a lot of it has to do with trying to, to figure out what that part of me and where that part of me lives as an adult, you know, and I think I have this, this conversation all the time with my therapist about like, he'll say to me, you know, people, you think people look at you as a child star, but they don't like you almost have to remind them because you're so far away from that now. And there's so many generations that don't know you as that. And so but I do think that there is a lot of my adulthood where I was trying to prove that not only was was it not going to happen to me where I was going to end up a statistic about you know, uh, the young child actor who who winds up being in rehab and, and you know, like that. I was sure that that was not going to happen to me and I made it so. But also that I was worth more than just being a child actor, you know. And, and I think any child prodigy would relate to that, you know. I think even if you played chess and excelled at that at, at a young age, as you grow up, there's this thing that that you don't you got to figure out what your worth is as a grown-up and it took me a lot of years to do that and i've worked really hard at it so i'm super proud of it and the interesting thing thing is once i got to this point where i was like yeah i'm a badass you um, are a badass Alyssa. i can <laughs> i didn't want to really act as much and i'll tell you why because i feel like i fought for so long to figure out who I was and to be okay with that person, that the idea of having to portray someone else, the idea of like embodying someone who was going through hardship was really a, a, a very weird concept for me. I just did a movie in Vancouver 
Um, and it was the first thing I'd, I had done since I, you know, since COVID. Page 14, she finds out her sister is dead. So the entire shoot, I am digging so deep for emotion because, I mean, that's what we do as actors. We got to we got to use what we have inside of us to invoke emotion. And I, I was a little resentful, I got to tell you, because I was like, why am I doing this? Why am I making myself cry every day? I have a job where it is my job to make people cry every single day. And I have to go to some dark places sometimes to get to that point. And so the, the, the more involved I got in self-reflection and therapy and, and exploration and all of that, it became harder and harder for me to, to go to work and, and act. It's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. And, and, you know, I think I'm really proud of the work that I just did in this movie. So yeah, it sounds like you did great work. If you had hit on me, it sounds like it was a like, like, you know, like you really had to yeah. dig deep. So it must yeah. have been good. So, so I have to figure out like why I'm still feeling a sense of pride, even though it was so hard for me to go through it. I mean, you know, you know, there's there's certain things that we choose to do that we're like in the middle of it. We're like, why did I say yes to this? I've had that thought a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Like, like running for president. When I, when I, you know, there were there were moments on the presidential campaign. I was like, what? Like, what did I get myself into again? Like, you know, and like, uh, um, you know, week oh, you two so in the brave. winter away from the family or whatever it was. You were so brave to do what you did. Oh, thank you, Alyssa. I mean, again, you were there with us. Uh, but it, what I, I thought to myself in the beginning was like, you know what? I'm going to just do everything in my power to accelerate the end of poverty. I've got a two-year window and just whatever it takes, we're going to do it. <laughs> and, and, and so when things got tough, I would remind myself of that. I would just think about it's like how many lives can I change? Uh, you know, it's potentially every once in a while because I like numbers and stuff, I would even think about it. I'd be like... I'm fighting for like a trillion dollars <laughs> in poverty relief because uh, there's no way to get there without the government. And, uh, you know, the, the the biggest question I got on the trail was like, where are we going to get the money? And then here we are less than two years later and everyone's like, oh, yeah, we had the money. <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course they have the money. You know, and when you think about the the, the places that money goes instead of other places it's it's oh, infuriating yeah. you know i mean yep. I, I do a lot of work for the national endowment of the arts and we do a lot of lobbying and i mean the budget this year is something ridiculous like 106 million dollars that's so it. low <laughs> yeah, so, so low to four trillion dollar budget i was like you know what can we just maybe what if we just ask for one dollar per person for the national endowment of the arts what if we just tried you know, I don't know. Let's see what happens with a budget of, you know, 380 million. million what, you know, sure. billion, right. So that we have one. Just that's all I'm asking for. One dollar for people to express themselves, because I have this philosophy of like the first thing. The first inclination that a child has that we as adults or parents are proud of them is what? It's a piece of art that we usually put. Yeah, in. it's when they draw something. Refrigerate. Even my kids' crummy drawings, Alyssa, we stick it up. That's right. <laughs> but I have so many crummy drawings of my kids, but you know that's what gives them their their 
self-pride and they're you know so it is really amazing the things we spend money on and the the fact that anyone lives below the poverty line in this country is infuriating and it should make every single person mad yeah i, I can go through some of the recent relief bills so the argument i made when someone asked me it's like where are you gonna get the money i was like do you remember anyone asking where we're gonna get the money when we uh, gave Wall Street uh, trillions of dollars for the bailout. And they were like, uh, no. And I was like, yeah, there you go. So the the uh, CARES Act that came out, the $2.2 trillion, where everyone got $1,200 checks, mm -hmm. I think that the $1,200 checks and all the money that came to families was something like 17% of the headline cost. Like it turns out we could have given everyone 1000 bucks a month for six months with the same amount of money. Uh, this just like 83% of the money. This is what you've been saying for years. Yes. So just an illustration that, you know, we, we actually do have the money, did have the money. Um, but I, I do feel like things are coming uh, this direction because more and more people are like, oh, yeah, we could do this totally if, if we just decided to do so. Um, but I, so it's funny because I do think that there, there are some parallels between um, like running for office, which you might do, which we're going to ask you about in a minute. Um, but <laughs> like running for office and some elements of uh, like the creative process. Uh, because when, when I was on the road, um, you know, I'd show up and there'd be a small group of people and I'd be like, hey, I've got this vision. And like, you know, you're, you're trying to like engage them and excite them. And 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 you're and in my case, like I, I was genuinely like excited to, to talk to people. Um, but even if you had a cold or whatnot, like you still had to, you know, be the show on must go like on. A, <laughs> yeah, there's an element of it. And, uh, you know, and then you hope that they tell their friends. And then like the next uh, time you come back, it, it, it's bigger and better. Uh, uh, and and so there there are some parallels, uh, and it you know some of the overlaps were it's not great because you can sense that our politics are kind of degenerating into theater. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you have, or performative, right? And I, yeah, I, yeah, feel, performative, I feel the same totally. way. I feel the same way about activism, actually. Oh my gosh, that is probably a hundred percent correct. <laughs> I feel that that activism has become very performative, and I think this cancel culture, this calling people out culture is an act of, uh, of performance. And I think that, you know, you're a science guy, right? Like the brain lights up. There's certain cortexes or whatever they're called that lights up when you call someone out on social media. And so the reward center of someone saying, oh, you know what, that's not... Uh, people are getting rewarded for that and therefore they continue to do it. And it is not in any way um, helpful <laughs> at all. So, so yeah, so I believe that there's a lot of activism that's performative as well. I agree. Uh, you know, one of the, the things that I see too is that uh, if you're an activist who achieves a certain level of prominence and you are objectively, in my view, like one of the country's most prominent activists, um, that, that unfortunately, there's like currency to be gained by trying to like uh, pick at you or dig at you. It's like, you know, because if you're, you know, someone else would be like, oh, you know, like I can. And that, that's true for people who aren't activists, too. It's like pretty much if you manage to undermine someone who people have heard of, then your stuff can go viral and you can have like a, a, a moment. Like, and I do think that there's like, as you said, there are reward centers in the brain that that um, get excited by this possibility. Um, and, and it's one of the concerns I have is that it makes it hard for us to really achieve sustained action if the, the impulse is to continuously drag down anyone who is 
like prominent enough so that someone's heard of them. <laughs> you, you know, what, you know right. what I mean? Well, but I think because of social media and the fact that everyone has a platform um, and anyone can really call themselves an activist, right? And and we have, I think activists are looked at now as celebrities, basically, right? They're, because of social media, they have platforms and they have, you know, the bullhorn. And I think, I think that they get that without actually putting in the work. And so it is, it is something that is very hard to sustain, you know, but I also think part of me really feels like you can tell um, who comes by it naturally or organically, you know, who is uh, really uh, the essence of who they are is living a life of service. And those are the people that quite often get hit the hardest, but are also willing to say, you know what? I'm willing to fail publicly and make this mistake publicly so people don't have to make this mistake again or we can we can rewrite the narrative right now because of my failings. And you know, a lot of people's ego won't allow them to do that, you know, and I've I've had to do it a, a, many times in my activism career where I've said the wrong thing or done the wrong thing or you know, fought on on something that I should have just left alone and 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 I have had to look at it as if I can if I be, can be called out and have the grace to learn from that experience then everyone that's watching me right now is is also learning the lesson that I'm learning so wow that's really profound Alyssa uh so you interact with people quite heavily on social media I mean you're you you're um, someone who, who's highly active. Um, is there a, a mechanism you use to remain positive and upbeat, um, despite the fact that there is a lot of, uh, you know, negativity and controversy on social media? Because you do uh, kind of have to use it if you're going to be reaching millions of people. But then sometimes, and I'll just speak for myself, I'll just speak for myself. Like there are times when like I, I'm, I'm going to get on Twitter or one of these platforms and like I just have to give myself like a little bit of like, okay, we're going in. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, like you're putting, um, you're putting on like camouflage, you know, getting on, getting ready to, to go in. But yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's hard. It's hard. And I think, I don't know what it says about me that um, I'm able to take it, but I, you know, and the only reason I think I can is because I don't know a career outside of being trolled. Of course, we didn't call it trolling then, but when I was 15 and became an activist because I kissed Ryan White on TV to prove that you couldn't get HIV from casual contact, I mean, you want to talk about trolling. I got wow. hate, I got hate that mail. That must have been intense. I got hate mail. People um, were... Uh, very threatening in, in, in person. I didn't get asked to the prom because, you know, there were rumors that I had HIV AIDS. Um, so that at 15, you know, I, I, I knew it was worth it. But if you have like that sort of prepared me, I think, for this this time um, where everyone has access and can say whatever they want to say about you and and who you are and so 
yeah, you and I are about the same age. So, you know, we did come of age pre-social media and then, you know, it happened. <laughs> then we, then we, we, you know, we've uh, taken advantage of its virtues and, uh, you know, moderated its, uh, its downsides. So I referenced it a little bit earlier, but I have to say I'm like burning up with curiosity um, where you uh, at least suggested that you might possibly run for U.S. Congress against some jerk (laughs) 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 representative. I don't know him. um, He might be a very nice man. I don't know him. He might be a very nice man. Um, So, yeah. So McClinton. So I have two homes. I have a home in Los Angeles and I have a home in in Truckee. And um, Brad Sherman is the representative to, for my Los Angeles home. And this this guy, McClintock, who has been there for a really long time, is the congressman in District uh, 4 in California. And so this is kind of how I'm looking. First of all, I get asked the, the question, when are you going to run all the time? And I'm kind of looking at this as... First of all, it's very, um, I'm exploring, I'm dipping my toe in. And the way I'm looking at it is I'm sure that no Democrat has has come close in that district or been able to offer the DCCC data that they've collected or anything to even get us closer. How red is this district we're talking about? Plus nine, red. Well, there's so much value to be had here because it's true. No one else could mount a credible challenge. Uh, you could mount a very credible challenge and, and you would see just what, like how many uh, Democratic voters are, are in this plus nine district. Because one thing I can say very, very authoritatively is that the Democratic Party does not uh, actually contest <laughs> most any of these uh, clearly Republican leaning districts. Like if, if you were to look at the recent races, I'm going to bet that uh, you had essentially like a, you know, like a non-competitive race, like, uh, you know, like over and over again. Um, and so you would be a game changer. Uh, as you can tell, I'm positive. Um, I, I like this. I'm actually looking up uh, Mr. McClintock right now, whose political days may be numbered. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, and and of course, since since I came out and said that I was interested in in maybe entertaining the idea, he his office has released a statement saying that I have always aligned myself with radical ideas, and um, you know they they love that that soundbite that all uh, Democrats are just radical liberal extremists. Oh, they do do a lot of that. I mean, when I talked before about the Georgia ads, it, it was like every ad was with like AOC. <laughs> the rest of it is like, John Ossoff is going to yeah, team right. up with AOC and the radical. Like, you're just like, what's going on here? It's like a freaking Georgia race. And they're, you know, that. so they'll, they'll always and, try and, and let's, tie let's you to whatever just... boogeyman. Let's just figure out, let's just talk about what they are considering radical ideas, right? Like, that's the other part that is hilarious to me, that the things that they consider radical are investing in our communities, are investing, you know, in education, uh, gun violence prevention, like all of the super radical ideas. No, they're the ideas of of why uh, we sent the president, took the Senate. And, you know, kept the house in 2020. And it's it's we got to do some 
stuff. I, you know, Alyssa, I'm going to go into full on uh, persuasion mode here. <laughs> that I think you're running for Congress is a great idea because it literally might end up tipping the balance of power in the House of Representatives. I mean, I think last I checked, like the Democratic advantage is like five um, or something like that. It's pretty modest. Um, and so there's a real chance the Republicans um, take control uh, in 22. And you would take a non-competitive district and turn it competitive and interesting. Uh, so, you know, in a way that virtually no one else could, uh, honestly. Um, so uh, I'd be into it. Uh, I, you know, I, I know a lot of other people would be into it. So I, I like count me in for uh, Alyssa Milano for fourth district of, of California. You're amazing. Thank you. You're amazing. Thank you for your support. I appreciate it. But I, I would like I would like to start to chip away at their power in that district. Whether or not I win is a whole other thing. But if I could just start chipping away and give them give, you know, hand over. You know, I look at it. I knew John Ossoff when he ran for Lucy McBath's seat for Congress in the special election right after Donald Trump was elected. And you know, nobody nobody even entertained the idea of that district because it was such a red district. And the groundwork that he was able to lay, not only for his himself and his aspirations, but for the sixth district in Georgia, he laid the groundwork for Lucy McBath, who is... I mean, what would Congress be without Lucy McBath? She's incredible. So if I can, if I can, if I can do that, I think that that would be a very um, exciting thing to be a part of. Well, I can attest to the fact that you can uh, do a lot of good, even if the race doesn't ultimately go your way. Um, so it, it is true. You would end up identifying new voters in that district uh, and pave the way for the next run, whether that's in that district or, or, and this is interesting too, because you've got a ton of natural, um, like political talent, Alyssa. I mean, you've been through so much, like uh, having been through a couple of these races now, like I can see how you would excel truly. Um, but but it, when you it's talked about John Ossoff in that race, I mean, John Ossoff didn't win that race, um, but then he ended up in the US Senate, like not that long thereafter. Uh, I mean, you, you have had so many um, experiences that have uh, made you into, you know, like a really singular figure. Uh, I think you'd be very potent. Like I certainly would not want to be your opponent. Truly, <laughs> so um, so it, it's it's highly highly interesting to me. I'm getting more and more excited about it. Uh, well, no pressure, well, brain, anything. No pressure. Brainstorm some ideas and tell me what you think. Um, sir, I mean, count me into the to whatever um, you know brain trust you want to form on this. Uh, and you also did something I'm super excited about, and it's a little bit premature for me to be talking to you about it. Maybe, but like I, I think you have a book coming out a little bit later this year. Uh, is that right? I do. I have a book coming out October 26th, and it is a book of essays, um, just basically about how I think of the world and very personal essays from, you know, how I feel about marriage and childbirth and all of those things, parenting, but also, you know, a lot of political essays of, of um, how I see uh, politics and how I see activism and uh, mistakes made along the way. And uh, it's very personal 
and it's very, uh, I don't know, I, lo I loved writing in this format. I had never, I've, I've written children's books and I wrote one book about baseball, which was kind of like a, a memoir. But I had never written a book of essays, which is very similar to, to how I write an op-ed, right? Like I write a lot of op-eds. I feel something about, you know, a, a topic that is um, in the daily zeitgeist and I'll write an op-ed and writing essays was exactly the same thing. So there's, you know, an essay about the Constitution. There is essays about, uh, you know, 18, I was in labor for 18 hours and then spent Two years, two years with post, with postpartum depression and anxiety. Oh wow, that's so hard. It's so hard, um, and so uh, it was it was a great it was a great thing to do during the uh, during COVID nineteen and during the quarantine because we couldn't go anywhere anyway. So I really got I, to I, I have to confide this in you, Alyssa. I also wrote during that time. <laughs> it was so, the right thing to do, right? Like, yeah. What did you write? There, there were, yeah, there was some deep thinking. Um, I, my, my book doesn't come out until a bit after yours, uh, I, I think. But it, it's, um, it's about the lessons I learned on the trail uh, and um, the future of our democracy and like what's working, what's not working, uh, media, social media. It, it, it's about yeah, the last several years. I was trying to unpack all the stuff that I'd experienced, which I had zero time to reflect in the moment. Every once in a while when I was running for president, people would come to me and be like, hey, you should really write stuff down. I was like, I have zero <laughs> energy right, right. to write anything down. But don't you think and that's so, also like, like a little bit of self-preservance, like, like where you're, where where you get this warrior instinct when you're in the thick of something that should be fucking freaking you out. And so you have this mechanism that doesn't allow you to realize what you've done until you're well enough out of it where you go, oh my God, I just ran for president. Like they turned off my mic. Like I, I'm exhausted, you know? And I think that there is, there is, beauty to be found in allowing yourself time to then be able to reflect back. I love the process of writing. And to your point, I find it to be immensely cathartic uh, and enjoyable trying to process something that had happened. Uh, and I learned anew even like, you you know, you figure you learn by doing. And then um, when you reflect on it, though, like I learned again uh, and I felt better about everything after I got it down on the page, which I, I was hoping for. Like I, I hoped that it would be something where I was uh, releasing um, uh, some thoughts onto the page or processing things in a way that would be helpful. And, and it did work out like that. I mean, I, I got more motivated too, Alyssa, because I had a vision uh, and still do for universal basic income and uh, poverty relief and cash relief. Uh, and then I, ran for president and took it as far as I could, um, at least in the moment. And then, you know, we, we uh, lost. Um, and then I converted into this other organization and became like this lobbying org. And then we you know, at least got some cash relief checks out. Um, but I, I had like a much firmer sense of the institutional landscape and what we would need to do to actually pass something big like universal basic income. It could be anything too. It could be many of the things you're talking about too. Um, you know, like common sense gun safety laws or like, you know, whatever it is, like, you know, the, the things where you look around 
uh, adaptation to climate change. Um, uh, so, uh, so, so that, that was my process. You have to realize, and maybe it, it took you to write the book to realize it, but your campaign really changed the, the discussion around, um, well, of course, universal base income, but also about data mining, um, also just this, this conversation of like how, how we need safety nets and we need hand ups. You know, like and, not, and and AI and the progressively inhuman economy and like and a the bunch fact of other that stuff. nobody yeah, really prepared dark. this country for a changing economy, like yeah, nobody, nobody was talking about that before you. You know, because it was their failings. The fact that they did not see this coming and did not prepare, you know, the working class people of let's say Michigan, which I think was incredibly hard hit. Um, it's, like, let's throw your future district, Fresno. Let's throw Fresno in there. Right. <laughs> Fresno, for sure. But how do you not prepare people for something with the, when you can see it happening? You can but, see it. It's unfold. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, I saw it in Michigan. Like, you know, I spent years uh, working there and, and saw the aftermath of the loss of manufacturing jobs. And a lot of places still haven't recovered. Uh, you know, hence, in my opinion, Donald Trump. Uh, you know, at least in some measure. I agree. Um, so, uh, so super excited about this book of essays. Does it have an, uh, does it have a title? Uh, sorry, not sorry is the title. Well, that, that's very apt. Uh, also the name of Alyssa's podcast, which you can uh, check out. She interviews uh, leaders and figures from every uh, area, including politics, but beyond politics as well. Um, so Alyssa, one thing I, love about you is that you're always grinding on uh, trying to make some positive changes happen. Uh, you know, it's, whether it's uh, student debt um, or, or uh, uh, the environment or guns. Uh, so what are you working on right now in that space? And if someone wants to get involved and help, like how could they do so? Oh, that's a great question. Well, first of all, I usually post all of the information on how people can help on my Twitter account and my Instagram. Um, I'm just starting to get into TikTok now. It is a slippery slope, <laughs> um, <laughs> to say the least. Welcome um, to TikTok, Alyssa. <laughs> uh, but um, the thing that I am most concerned with right now is getting the most vulnerable uh, vaccinated. Um, I, Amen. I mean, I uh, co-sign on that too. <laughs> yeah, I wrote I wrote an op-ed back in December talking about the importance of um, of lessening up the patents so that we can distribute, manufacture, you know, people. Because I'm a UNICEF ambassador, so I've, I've seen what a country looks like that has zero healthcare infrastructure. And my whole thought the whole time is like, how are we going to get vaccines in people's arms in, you know, the middle of a village in, in India and, and that this is such a different virus, not because it is medically different and scientifically different, but also because we've never had anything like this in a time when it only takes 35 hours to be anywhere in the world. You can be in the most remote place in the world and be in Los Angeles 35 hours later. And so we need, you know, this 
it doesn't know boundaries. Nowhere is safe until everywhere is safe. So we got to make sure those patents are lifted. We've got to manufacture as many as we can. I think, you know, the fact that the G7 leaders have committed to millions and millions and millions, hundreds of millions of doses is great. Um, and I hope that they use, you know, these organizations that are in the ground in these very vulnerable areas, organizations like UNICEF that already have an incredible vaccine infrastructure in place that can get uh, this into people's arms. What awesome work, Alyssa. It's awesome. I mean, I have family members in parts of the world that don't have the vaccine yet. So, uh, you know, like kudos to you on this work. And what's happening in certain developing countries is awful. And if there's anything we can do to help save lives. Uh, so I, I love I love this cause. Yeah, I think it's important. Um, and it it really, what else exemplifies more being a part of a global community than um, taking responsibility for all of the citizens of the world, not just those that are live in rich countries that can, uh, whose leaders have hoarded vaccinations. It's crazy how well, this has been one other out. reason why I would be so for this, Alyssa, is the fact is that right now we're we're in a different um, battle in America, which is like the we have the vaccines, we have to like convince people to get them. Whereas like in other parts of the world, if they were there, people would be, you know, jumping over themselves to try and uh, you know get vaccinated. So I think that's like another very good reason to do what you're doing. Exactly, that's exactly right. But global it is community, wild here. global, global yes. community. We all have to take care of each other. The rich nations must take care of the most vulnerable nations. Um, you know, what's happening in India and Brazil and uh, Nepal. It's just it's really scary. And if you're listening to this, please do get vaccinated. It's the right thing. I yeah. got vaccinated. It's great. <laughs> and please and please get your second vaccine if you haven't already, because that's the other thing that's happening in, in the United States. We're such a privileged country that people are like, eh, I just need one. I'm fine. Get them both. Alyssa is right. Get them both. You need both vaccinations. I, though I will say, I think people know this, it's public. I got the Johnson & Johnson, so it was like the one and done. Uh, <laughs> so so that that's legit too, as far yes, as I know. Yes, that's legit too. And, you know, Johnson & Johnson should seriously consider donating their, because the other thing about their vaccine is it doesn't need the crazy freezer or refrigeration that these other it, need. It, it seems like a better bet because then you can just do one dose. Like it, yeah. it's, uh, it's more portable and a bunch of other things. Well, Alyssa, such a joy, such a joy being with you today. Please, like anyone who's listening to this who's blown away by Alyssa, as I have been uh, uh, every time I've, I've spoken to her, do follow Alyssa. Let's help her, uh, her get people vaccines and all of the other awesome things that she's working on. Uh, and also, let's keep an eye out for this book of essays. I have a feeling it's going to be really profound. I maybe I'll have you back like after that book's published. Yeah, Alyssa, let's do and, it. And, like I, I can, I can. Uh, Read that. And then we'll trade too. After I write my book, I'll like come on yours. We'll do like a book swap. That'll be fun. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for your kindness. I really appreciate you, Andrew. Thank you. I appreciate the heck out of you, Alyssa. We, you know, it's been great becoming your friend uh, and we're just getting started. We're going to, we're going to do incredible things. I can't wait for all of it. Thank you. <laughs>